Hey, everybody. Welcome to Fuel Buyer Summit. Today, we're going to have a fireside chat with a subject very relevant to anybody that buys fuel, um, aggregating the data that you need to buy fuel better, which is very, very important. And it's required to manage a fuel program. So technology, uh, both existing and developing, is key to streamlining the way that you buy fuel. I'd like to introduce my really good friend, Don Thibodeau. Don, you and I go way back. I think we go back to your days at Shell. Am I right with that? Uh, uh, right. I think you're 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 right. It takes a, a, a minute to uh, try to recollect all the places I've been, all the circles I've run in, and all the uh, touch points that I've had with you over the years. But yes, long long history. Yes, sir. Long history. Tell us. So tell us a little bit about what you're what you're doing now. Well, Scott. Uh, at this juncture, I, I find myself having founded a couple of uh, startups in the downstream fuel space, interestingly enough. Um, uh, I've got the pleasure of working with a fantastic team and uh, also uh, a great coalition of partners. We're tackling complex problems uh, for the supply chain at really what amounts to a very complex time. But I'll tell you, we're having a lot of fun along the way. Good. Tell us why it's such a complex time, John. Give us, give us an idea why it's so complex. Well, you know, take into consideration that we've got a couple of things uh, particular to the, to the uh, fuel industry that are happening. First uh, is at a uh, macro level, something that's impacting us all right now, which is the pandemic. Sure. Uh, in this environment, everyone has had to adapt their business model, adapt uh, their way of life. Uh, and, um, you know, the fuel industry in particular, goods and services still have to get from point A to point B and all of that for the time being still takes fossil fuels. Uh, that said, uh, this is an interesting, uh, backdrop where the narrative on fossil fuels is that there is a, a hard pivot into renewable, renewable energy, green energy, uh, responsibility and, and social, uh, uh, consciousness around what's good for the environment. Overall, it's the right thing to do. The complexities underlying that are that it's not an easy uh, thing to do, nor will it happen, I think, nearly as quick uh, as, uh, as all of us would like. So we're talking about uh, something that, uh, from a, a paradigm shift standpoint, is at least a decade off into the future before there's any meaningful pivot. Right. But volatility in fuel prices is still a huge issue, as is supply concerns, right? As we saw with the whole episode with the Colonial Pipeline when it was shut down and there were outages. And that that impacts a lot of the people that are going to be watching this who are large fuel buyers. So right. what, do you, what do you see happening with that? Uh, well, uh, what I see in terms of volatility uh, in, in the news uh, lately, as far as what I've been privy to, I the direction for pricing over the next several months into the next couple of years is that pricing is expected to go up, right? First, the first the uh, price of crude, which then has uh, ultimately a downstream impact on the price at the pump or the wholesale price of fuel. So the trajectory is up and there's a, a myriad of things that go along with that, not the least of which is uh, cash flow constraints, right? right? Pricing goes right. up, the same thing that you bought yesterday is now more expensive. Uh, you've got other uh, macro and micro indicators across the economy, such as inflation uh, and all of the uh, the bears that go along with that. So uh, volatility, it's not going anywhere. It's, uh, it's here to stay. And uh, again, the backdrop of having such a complicated 
economy and uh, 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 state of, uh, uh, of of the union in terms of uh, health and the pandemic. So no right. uh, no small feat at all to, uh, to to tackle. So I come from a price reporting background, as you know. I was with Opus for many years, so I dealt with people <clears throat> whose big challenge was intraday price changes, <clears throat> excuse me, managing all of that data and bringing in and aggregating data from a lot of different sources. Tell us a little bit about what you see happening with that now in light of everything that's going on. Mm-hmm. Well, I think what you're going to find is is uh, sort of the same challenge that uh, ultimately has the same solution. And what I mean by that is that there's a lot of data out there, Scott. You know, quite frankly, uh, you know, given your background uh, in and around uh, Opus and uh, with Opus being one of the major providers of price discovery, it's just simply a lot of data to consume and make sense of. And so one of the chief challenges is going to be harnessing all of that data from all of the disparate sources and making sense of that. If, if, if one's organization is not pulling the data in and independently verifying it, then you are putting all your faith, all your eggs in the basket of a third party, hoping and praying that their systems are such that they can handle the complexity and ultimately get it right. Right. So talk to us a little bit about the value to somebody who is a very large fuel buyer, like a fleet, for example. What is the value to them of automating all of this input of data for them? Well, when you reallocate uh, resources as a result of automating processes, that in and of itself has a tremendous impact to the bottom line. So you're able to move resources away from low value tasks to tasks with more meaningful responsibility and impact within the organization. You know, another thought, Scott, is you've got lower operating costs that are a result of being able to consume and process and make decisions from data at a faster rate. And then one of the things I think about as well is the elimination of leakage from potentially paying more than you should simply because you weren't aware of the facts. You know, so at the end of the day, Scott, overall fuels such a large spend category, especially for fleets, that it really deserves a robust approach where you invest in the right solutions for the short term to reap the efficiencies in the long term. Right. We all know, I mean, from my experience, uh, you know, if you if you put a, an eight instead of a three or you put a nine instead of a six, I mean, mm-hmm. on a large volume of fuel, that adds up and that's a huge amount of money. So the more you can automate. Better. So tell us, give us some examples of, of the kinds of customers that you've worked with that you've helped them to automate this process and a little bit, tell us a little bit about that. Sure, I'd be glad to. So I've had the uh, the benefit uh, over time to have worked on some of the, the, uh, the major uh, Fortune 500 companies uh, in the country as far as their fuel program is concerned. Uh, that includes major retailers, uh, industrial and commercial applications, as well as uh, fleet companies, many fleet companies. And there's one that comes to mind in particular, this this particular fleet company was one of the largest dry goods freight transportation haulers in the country. They had 40 locations, Scott, from coast to coast with bulk tanks at each of those locations, and in some instances, multiple bulk tanks. Uh, their annual fuel consumption was uh, in the neighborhood of 50 million gallons uh, per year annually. Uh, they did have a fuel manager that uh, was responsible for all things fuel. But the reality, Scott, is that that fuel manager was overwhelmed and pulled in a thousand different directions. 
So the byproduct of that was that things were falling through the cracks. There was a tangible cost to that inefficiency. And so our team stepped in, we automated their program end to end. And the net effect, Scott, here's where it gets interesting, is that there was a savings of several cents per gallon. So the takeaway for fleets that are listening is that, you know, look, several cents per gallon savings equates to significant spin reduction. And at the very least, it's certainly something that should create the motivation to want to optimize. Well, you know, you brought up a really good point when you talked about the size of their of their volume at 50 million gallons. I mean, that's there are some companies that buy 500 million gallons and above that. So what it in our world, when I was at Opus and we would talk to folks like this, we would always talk about rateability, right? And rateability means the amount of fuel that you buy per week, sometimes per day, multiple deliveries. So if you become a very rateable buyer, like I'm sure a lot of the folks that are listening in on this today, that makes it even more important to be able to do this, right? Absolutely. You know, it does. I mean, I think that uh, the correlation is that the larger the volume, the larger the complexity, the larger the the uh, ROI on automation and having a robust solution that is able to uh, manage the data and the complexity uh, for you. You know, we're at a time where you know, margins are thin in multiple industries, uh, and you know, you need to be empowered uh, as a fleet company uh, around your fuel spend. Uh, many times, fuel is not the business of fleet companies. It's an enabler of their business. You got to have it. It's a necessary evil. And so what is often uh, not present is the in-house expertise around right. fuel. When you go from 50 to 500 million, you are, you know, you're, you've got uh, some considerations and some decisions to make there uh, in terms of the, the caliber of expertise that you bring in-house because, uh, the, uh, the the cost of making a mistake or being uh, unaware of uh, something uh, uh, surrounding fuel spin, uh, it's it's magnified uh, accordingly as you get up the scale and volume. So right. big, these big implications across the board. And, you know, you brought up a good point, which I, I think is important to bring up. So, you know, what we found, because I taught a fuel buying class for many years and I had a lot of people come through. You came through it. Right? I was one of you students. Yes. You're one of my, you were my, you graduated magna cum laude. <laughs> you did a great job. But, you know, one of the things that we would find is that you'd have people come through the class. We'd go around and we would ask people, you know, what do you do? And how long have you been at it? And you'd be amazed at people who were, who were responsible for a book of like 500 million or more. And a year ago, they were buying paper towels or they were buying pencils or pens or office equipment, right? right? And now they're, they're buying this very complex commodity that has a lot of volatility in price. So that is, that's an incentive for them to really look to automate it, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. Right. You know, you... You, uh, it's something that is on my mind and is a conversation point, uh, quite a bit. And that's the, the expertise, uh, inside of a fleet organization. You know, the accountant, uh, or the accounting team, uh, if they're a generalist with no depth in the fuel realm, in other words, they're, they're, uh, uh accounting for payroll and overhead and then lump in fuel, which is a specialist, uh, category. The level of uh, of exposure is significant. And I'll give you an example. 
that you'll you'll probably uh, readily recognize. But there was a name, there was a name brand supplier. This was a case years ago that was all over the news, where that supplier fabricated charges on invoices to several customers, and they got away with it for uh, for a significant amount of time. The mere fact that that happened and can happen underscores the issue in that if you don't have the tools, if you don't have the solution, you're exposed, plain and simple. That's so true. And I know, you know, I know what you're talking about. And we've also seen, because I used to deal a lot with retailers. And although the majority, probably 98% of the suppliers are, are scrupulously honest, there is a very small percentage that, you know, may, may try to take advantage. So if you have a way of automating it, to take yeah. all that pricing and volume information from yeah. the supplier and have that flow in. So if somebody wants to do that, Don, what, what do they have to do? What, what are the steps that they have to take to, to get that under control? Well, you know, it's, Scott, I would, I would say that you want to determine how much of your operation you want to automate. Uh, there's several different components. Uh, if I start kind of from a, uh, from the, uh, the the back office to the front office, from a back office perspective, you want to be able to uh, independently verify your fuel and freight payables. You know, you, you you if you're not pulling in the pricing, the taxes, the time of lift, the delivery verification, you're really putting all of your faith into a third party's uh, integrity uh, and accuracy. So some of the things specifically that uh, uh, warrant automation are tax determination. As you know, Scott, the rates and the rules are changed with regularity. And all the time, all the time. It does, and it necessitates both the buyer and the supplier staying on top of it. Right. The repercussions or the opportunity cost of not having uh, a, a robust solution around that component is that you entertain uh, the, the possibility of messy credit rebills all the way up really to delink with tax liabilities and penalties, which are never what you want in your organization. Right. Second thing, Scott, okay. is around the supporting uh, evidence uh, that uh, is organized and associated to each payment. What I mean by documentation is the bill of lading from the terminal, the delivery ticket from the carrier, and uh, if possible, ATG records. Having that extra layer of, of visibility, what it does is it mitigates being shorted on product or paying for the wrong product as well as being overcharged for incremental fees such as the merge. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then I'll, I'll tell you uh, another observation uh, that I've got is around tolerances and how those come into play, Scott. A lot of time, especially at scale, bulk buyers, uh, fleets will typically establish an invoice tolerance to cover the variability that can happen at lift and delivery. So think things such as temperature-induced, uh, expansion or contract or contraction of product volume or disbursements in parallel with delivery. I've seen tolerances as high as $50 per invoice, Scott, which is a reflection wow. of inefficiencies in process and data capture. So the 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 uh, uh, the opportunity you said is large. Uh, two other things as I as I close the thought here are uh, automating the uh, time of um, of uh, of when you need a load of fuel. Not only automating the timeliness of when you need that load of fuel, but understanding the uh, uh, the parameters of time that you have to deliver. You know, case in point, uh, one of one of Opus's core values is 
visibility into rack pricing, but also spot market pricing. So having the wherewithal and the tool set to understand not just what, not just how much, but when uh, is, uh, is, is, is very core to saving uh, money on the workflow of getting fuel from point A to point B for fuels. Absolutely. And one of the things that we have always tried to teach people, I've certainly tried to do it, is the more you know, the more education you have, especially if you're a large fuel buyer and you have that continuity and you can go in the office on, on a Wednesday and say, what happened in the market yesterday? And have some kind of visibility in front of you that can help you time your purchases a lot. And that's, that's critical because you may be competing with another fleet that does that and you're missing out if you don't have that information in front of you and it's easy to get. Another thing too, I think, and you probably agree with me, is most of the price reporting agencies that anybody uses to load up into these backend systems is easy for them to transmit that data in. It's, it's really not complicated. Almost everybody has different formats. So tell us, I, I'm excited to hear about what you're doing because you have a cool business and I, I, I want to hear all about it. Well, uh, I, I'd love to elaborate. So <laughs> Scott, I, I spent most of my days working on and in Fuel Hub where I, I'm in the role of CEO. Fuel Hub is a 4PL managed service for fuel buyers. What that means, Scott, is that bulk buyers of fuel that don't want the daily headache, burden, risk, and cost of managing all the complexity that we discussed today can outsource it all to Fuel Hub. In other words, we're a do-it-for-me solution for those that don't wish to do it for themselves. And I, I, I got to mention a couple of major partners that we deliver our service with and through. The first is Axis Software which is our software partner, as you know, a subsidiary of Opus. Mm -hmm. We leverage uh, that platform to manage the fuel programs of bulk buyers. And then the second major partner that I'd like to mention is U.S. Bank. We've got a brand new and exciting offering called Pay Term Optimization. That concept uh, involves accelerating payment to suppliers as fast as net one and offering extended terms to fuel buyers of up to 45 days. And while wow. it's simple to comprehend, Scott, the implications are profound for They're both huge. buyers and sellers, and we're getting great traction at this early stage. So very, very uh, exciting stuff. Uh, and like I said, I told you, we're, we're solving for complex problems in a complex time. And that's huge because cash flow is one of the major issues, right? Absolutely. It's a huge issue. Absolutely. Yeah, good. Well, that's exciting. So tell us what else is going on. Are you? What else are you working on? Uh, well, uh, outside of that, uh, you know, we are, uh, we're, we're, we're hiring, we're growing, um, Scott, that's important. We've got uh, some uh, significant customers that we're, we're uh, currently uh, managing uh, their programs and sure. some, some growth opportunities uh, within those customers. And as we bring uh, our offerings to market, we're finding that there is a significant uh, need, you know, uh, there's a there's a there's an expertise gap. We touched on it a little bit in today's discussions, but we feel we fill that void. Um, and believe it or not, uh, I think that uh, the spotlight and the the, uh, the motivation behind getting the right expertise at the right time to solve these challenges are going to become more pronounced uh, over the next several years. Because with the introduction of everything around renewables and the tax and credit and and uh, 
uh, accounting for all of that. It's only going to complicate things further in the short term. So we're excited to be tackling the big challenges. And, uh, you know, overall, uh, Scott, we're just staying safe uh, at the same time uh, and playing uh, playing our part, uh, which we enjoy doing. Well, Don, thank you for joining us. This has been so valuable. Your information and your insight is incredible. If people are interested in reaching out to you to get more information, what's the best way to get in touch with you? Glad you asked, Scott. Well, a couple of different ways. Uh, the first that I'll point out is LinkedIn. Uh, we've got a, a, a LinkedIn page uh, on that platform, Fuel Hub, uh, as well as our website, fuelhubservices.com, spelled just like it sounds. There's an S on services. Uh, they can also reach us by 1-800 number. Our number is 1-833-FUELHUB. That's easy. And so any of those mechanisms, uh, we can be reached. Also, I'd, I'd, uh, I'd add by email, info at fuelhubservices.com. That's great. Um, I, I hope people reach out to you because it's such an important subject and you're one of the experts on it. And I know that uh, you'll, you can absolutely be a huge value to a lot of people. Thank you for joining us today. I really appreciate it. And everybody, please stay tuned for more Fuel Summit.